You are listening to Billionaires in Boxes, the number one podcast publicist for businesses globally. Hello and welcome to this edition of Billionaires in Boxes with me, your host, Phil Paluccia. I'm joined today by Paul Glover, the no bullshit coach. So you can tell what kind of podcast we're in for today. Uh, Paul, I absolutely love your work. So it's a real pleasure to have you here. Well, thank you so much, Phil. It's obviously a pleasure to be on the podcast. No, it's, it's absolutely fantastic to, for you to be here. We're going to have a really good conversation. You and I always have a good conversation. I mean, obviously our listeners won't know this, but we've probably had a good 15, 20 minutes pre-call that actually could even have been on a podcast. There's been some juicy stuff coming out of that discussion as well. Yep, it's always good to talk to you. Like I said, it, it's a stimulating conversation with someone who I find interesting. Obviously, yep. that's what, that's what, uh, that's what sparks me uh, in the coaching process as well. Likewise, likewise. And I absolutely return the favor. So um, uh, outside of uh, my trip to Chicago and all the things we're going to do there, um, I'd love to kind of just introduce you to the audience. So for, for those of our listeners that haven't come across you yet, do you want to kind of give us a, a bit of an insight into, into you and what you do? Absolutely. Uh, thanks for that opportunity. Uh, as you mentioned, or as I mentioned, I'm an executive coach. I have a coaching program that is uh, nationwide in the United States. Uh, I've got a couple of uh, key areas that I uh, function in, both distribution and manufacturing. Uh, but I've got a, a history that uh, that uh, led me to coaching. Uh, I don't believe anybody starts off as a coach, by the way. If they do, they should stop. That's uh, true. You've got to have the, the experience, what I call the scars. I, I love Frank. Frank Sinatra's quote was, don't hide your scars, you've earned them. That's true. And the, reality, the reality of having those scars is what an effective coach should be bringing to the coaching process because you have to be able to relate to the person that's in the coaching relationship with you, but you also have to have the experience to bring so that they can benefit from it. I mean, I can have an opinion, but if mm. I have not the experience to back it up, it's just an opinion. Mm. Uh, so my, uh, my experience comes from a variety of, uh, of past experience, one being a lawyer. I was a labor employment lawyer in the city of Chicago uh, for 30 years. And uh, as a part of that experience, I was uh, also the vice president of a uh, Teamsters local. So I was very much into uh, to labor and employment. Uh, but because of that uh, relationship, I managed to, uh, to associate with people that did not have my best interests at heart. But uh, I don't blame them for the fact that I went and spent five and a half years in prison. Uh, I was uh, convicted after two trials by a federal court and a federal jury and uh, went to a federal prison camp and, like I said, spent five and a half years there. And uh, it was because of uh, two things. First, I thought I was the smartest guy in the room. Mm. And therefore, that gave me license to do whatever I wanted to do to benefit myself first and everybody else second. Mm -hmm. And... To me, that is an essential idea of leadership that needs to be ingrained in a true leader. Is it's okay to benefit from being a leader and being in leadership as long as that's secondary to the benefit that you provide to those people you lead? I got it backwards. Uh, I decided to take care of myself first and everybody else second. So my deal was <laughs> there's always, if you watch Pirates of the Caribbean, there's the pirate code. And the pirate code, take it, take it all, give nothing back. 
And uh, that was my attitude. Uh, and uh, I, I believed that uh, I was entitled, but I also believed that I could not be caught. And I hung around with, uh, with a group of people who were actually worse than I was. Uh, and I wanted to be like them. I was a bad guy wannabe. And I found out that uh, that first I never crossed that line and became one of those guys, but I, I was on the line and obviously uh, did not serve me well. Uh, so I was uh, voted out of my officership at the uh, at the labor union, but continued to be an employment lawyer, except for the fact that the behaviors that I'd engaged in uh, led the federal government to do a uh, investigation. And like I said, after two trials, I was found guilty of uh, 33 counts of bribery, kickbacks, and threatening government witnesses, and sentenced to five and a half years in prison. Mm. And uh, obviously, my uh, my career as a lawyer ended, and I love being a lawyer. Mm. Uh, and so that went away. I now I now tell people I'm a recovering lawyer. <laughs> uh, because as my wife would say, you cannot stop being an asshole. And that means that you've learned that from being a lawyer and that's who you are. And it <laughs> is. And that's a part of the of my coaching program that 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 I really believe brings value because I have that ability to be a critical thinker and to impose the process of critical thinking in the coaching process. Uh, I don't believe that's the only thing you should be engaged in as a leader, but you definitely need that. You need to be a critical thinker. You need to be able to see things with a clear perspective that reduces some of the emotionalism. But I would also say that the, the other part of that is the fact that I went to prison and I, uh, I learned how to be humble. Mm. And that's a, that was the hardest lesson ever for me. I spent the first two years that I was in prison trying to figure out how I could get even with those people who had testified against me. Oh, really? And I believe caused me to go to jail. But, but the reality is, Phil, that, that I caused myself to go to jail. Uh, I, I tell leaders that one of the things that we often are unaware of is those blind spots that cause us to self-inflict injuries and wounds. And we, we do it, and then we try to avoid the responsibility for having done it. And uh, in fact, in the sentencing guidelines that uh, that you get the amount of time you're going to spend in prison, there's a opportunity for a reduction in your sentence if you will accept responsibility for your crimes. Now, think about this. I've already been found guilty, and I know I'm going to go to prison, and I know that they want to give me a chunk of time. Seven years is what they gave me. And my lawyer said, if you step in front of the judge and say you accept responsibility for your actions, you'll get a six-month reduction. And I said, not going to happen. Oh, really? Well, absolutely. Needless to say, my wife was not happy. I bet she uh, was Yeah. And, and it was that hubris that even after I was convicted, I still would not accept responsibility for my own actions. And so I went to prison and uh, even though I was I, I prosecuted my case to the Supreme Court and got a reduction in my sentence. I read this, yeah. Yeah, I did not change 
the fact I was guilty, and it did not change the fact that I should have accepted responsibility. Mm. So I've now got what I consider to be the, the, the two most important elements of a coaching relationship. I was as arrogant as most CEOs and presidents and leaders are, and I understand why that doesn't work because there is a price to be paid for that. And I don't care who you are, you can only wound yourself so many times before you will pay that price. Uh, so when I start talking about becoming a, uh, becoming a coach, when I got out of prison, the opportunity to practice law was gone. As a convicted felon, you're not going to be able to keep your law license, nor should you, by the way. Yeah, sure. uh, as, as much as I wanted to practice law again, uh, the correct decision was not to put me in that position. In that Do you truly believe that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think the lawyers are bad enough the way it is. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I, I truly believe that, that every time there's a white-collar crime, there's a lawyer who advised the person about their ability to commit the white-collar crime. Wow. Because what, what you have is a customer, a client will come to you and say, uh, I want to give you a hypothetical. <laughs> now, that, now, if you, you you see you laugh because you know right away that's a red flag for oh, yeah. about me, but I'm not going to say that because I don't want you to have any responsibility to report what I say I want to do. Yeah. My friend asked me to ask you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. And of course, what they say is, this is this, this is what my friend wants to do. Uh, mm. How can they do it and not go to jail? Now, they obviously, they'll, they'll, they'll candy coat that language. Oh, yeah, sure. But, but that's what they're asking. And I believe that every lawyer then advises their client as to how they believe they can do what they want and not go to jail. That doesn't make it legal or yeah. moral. It just makes it, there's an escape clause. Here's what it is. So, so that's why, and by the way, that's what lawyers do. Lawyers do two things, in my opinion. First, they scare the crap out of you so you won't do things that you mm -hmm. shouldn't do. And second, if you're bold enough to say, I'm going to do it anyway, they'll tell you how to do it and not get caught. So, but, but, so I, I got out and, uh, and obviously that's what I did, by the way, before I went to prison. And so I got out and found out that obviously my prison time uh, basically eliminated most career options. First, I was 52 when I got out, uh, pretty old to start another career. I found out that everybody that I thought would be a, a possible connection didn't want to have anything to do with me. Lovely. Uh, I had the albatross of prison around my neck. Mm. And uh, you don't get to do your time and be done. No. And so... I came to the conclusion that, that another element of coaching is that we often try to avoid fear, what we're afraid of. And my contention is if you do that, you miss 50% of your life. When I was in prison, there was a ongoing discussion among inmates about how you should spend your time. And, and the, the theoretical discussion was if there was an opportunity to be, to be put to sleep, cryogenically put to sleep for that three or four or five years that you were going to be incarcerated so that it passed as if it were one night. Yeah, yeah. Would you take it? But five years still would have passed. And my argument was, I don't care how bad it is. I don't want to miss the experience. Yeah, it's true. 
And I know that there are people who say, oh, my God, you've got to be willing to, to you can't really mean that, that you're going to embrace every experience. Well, first, I'm not going to invite every experience. Yeah. yeah. Right. But if but you, you miss the opportunities to learn, don't you? That's that, the that's thing. Correct. Yeah. Spot on, because that's exactly the case, is that every experience will give you a scar. Mm hmm. And if you don't have the experience, don't get the scar. But that mm. means you can't, there, there's nothing you can do with that. So I wanted it all, mm. right? And my whole experience in prison was making sure after I got through with wanting revenge, was making sure that I took this experience and turned it into something useful. When I got out, I found out that I could not practice law. Uh, I decided that I could coach. And uh, and why? Well, I've already explained why. Yeah. And when I went to, when I went to and by the way, my approach does not work well with everybody. Obviously, I don't think anyone's approach works well with everybody. But no. that's why manufacturing and distribution are a little more hardcore, and mm. therefore the no bullshit works well with them. Yeah. Uh, in other industries, they want they want the fluff. Oh yeah, they like fluff. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Well, that, that means you don't have to face your responsibilities because we're going to we're going to fluff it up for you. Right. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, I get paid. And, as, and I'm fortunate. I get paid to tell people the truth as I see it. Mm. And if you don't like the truth, then that's OK with me. You don't have yeah. to listen. to it. Find somebody else. There's someone out there who will sugarcoat the truth for you. Uh, mm. That does not mean that it's going to go well for you in the coaching program. No. Uh, so when I got out, I started. Uh, I started that. I, I did workshops and, uh, and. But let me before I get there, because I always find it interesting. I'm a Starbucks addict, and uh, and when I got out, I looked for a job and I looked for. And after three months, I told my wife, I said, I, I've got to do something. I filled out an application to be a barista. Did you really? I did. And. and the day that I was going to turn this, no, no bullshit. The day I was going to turn the application in is when I got a call from a person I know who said, will you take a coaching job? And but but I, I kept the application. I still have it. So I kept the application because every once in a while I look at it. Right. I'm like, well, would you do that? Yeah, because. If that were the only thing that I was going to be able yeah, to do, absolutely. I was going to become a barista. Uh, anyway, so uh, so from that first encounter, by word of mouth, I started to develop a reputation as a certain type of coach, the no BS coach, and uh, built my clientele. Mm. So you've got that. You've got too much background, but no, but I love it, man. Well, but enough to understand the concept of of being able to take your scars embrace the experiences, good and bad, and turn them into something positive. Mm. Because my whole concept of coaching is I want to help you. Mm. First, you have to want to be helped, by the way. That's very true. Uh, no, it's yeah, so, I, so true. Oh, it, it, Because you'd be surprised about how many people say they want to be helped, but don't really want to be helped. I heard a, uh, I heard a saying once that said, it takes a split second to change, but a lifetime to change somebody. That's a good one. I and, like I li that. and I like that because it's very true, isn't it? It's like once you make that decision for yourself that you're going to change, it's instant. You can't go back. It's like it's like trying to unsee something. It, it can't be done, right? But you can drag someone and give them the best logic, the best advice, the best tools. If they're not ready for it, they're going to do nothing with it. 
Absolutely. And my mo- most recent example of that. One of the things that I require when we when I started coaching engagement is first is a 12 month process. I, I can't I cannot be effective less than 12 months. By the way, that doesn't mean I won't take your money for less time, but we're going to we're going to we're not going to have the deal. And the deal that I have is you sign a 12 month contract with me and 50 percent of my compensation goes in the bank. And at the end of that 12 months, you decide whether or not we reach the agreed upon goals. And if you tell me you, you, we didn't, you keep that 50%. Uh, however, if you want to do the hourly, you know, I'm not going to do 12 months, then I'll be more than happy to take your money. But I also won't guarantee any results. No, absolutely. For the year, I can guarantee results. So I, I had a, uh, had a, uh, a president of a uh, metal service center who called me and said, uh, somebody recommended you as a coach, and I'd really be interested in that. Okay, well, our first the first thing that I require is that your executive team, those people who report to you, do a 360-degree evaluation. Because I may be able to tell you what I think you should do, but I really want the people who report to you to tell you anonymously what they see as your issues. That really gives us some ground to talk about, right? We've got to know what your issues are. By the way, I never believe that you know what your issues are. No, I agree. No, I completely agree. You're too close to it. That's, I mean, what's that? What's that expression? You can't see the wood for the trees, right? It's, it's so true. And we, and those are blind spots for us. Yeah, they are. I've never met a leader that didn't believe they were a great communicator <laughs> until, until. Their group said, we have no idea what that guy's talking about <laughs> most of the time, but, but we don't say anything. Right? Well, of course not. You're afraid of your leader. So, so this guy says, okay, and we do it. We do the 360. He's got eight people who are direct reports. They send it to me, so it's anonymous. I put together the outcome. I send it to him. And, of course, he's shocked. He's shocked by the ratings that he got. And he says, well, I'm really surprised. Okay. I said, so think about this because I'll call you in two weeks and then we're going to put together a coaching program to address these items. Yeah. Okay. So a week later he calls me and he goes, can we do the 360 evaluation again? Now the program that I've got is at the end of the 12 months, we do a 360 because that's how we're going to measure progress objectively. The people who are reporting to you are now going to say, here's what we thought of you in all these areas 12 months ago. Here's what we think of you now. That's progress or not. And and I say, no, why? We don't, I don't do it that way. You know what the program is. I said, so why? He said, well, I got my team together and I said, we're going to do this until we get it right. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, Enough for me. <laughs> Said, oh, I'm sure you're no. a coach that'll go along with your program of not wanting to get better, mm. but it's a waste of your money and my time. That That is too frequent a truth that, that I will say what I want, but when you are going to force me to actually do what's necessary to get it, too much hurt. Too much pain, too much time, too much effort, whatever it may be, it's too much. So I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. And by the way, the most the most difficult people to coach are successful people. Yeah. Because they go, well, you want me to do something that's really hard, but I'm already doing 
pretty well. And my contention is not about your current performance, but about your potential. Definitely. Do, do you think you have any more potential? If you don't, by the way, you're right. We should end the conversation. If you think that you want to do more, be more, you're not going to do that on your own. No. Well, I'll tell you a funny story. I, I worked with someone many years ago and um, he he had this really great attitude when it came to this stuff, but he didn't actually believe it. So I remember um, I was doing a consulting role with his business and he said, what we're going to do, he says, we're going to do like an open floor meeting with the entire sales team. And he said, and I'm going to give them like an open opportunity to talk honestly with me about the things that we need to improve and opportunities that they see and all this kind of stuff. And it was like a 90 minute long meeting, right? I kid you not, we were back in the elevator going upstairs to his bit of the office. And he was going, there's a few people I want to replace already, right? <laughs> so he was just ready for firing them, for being honest, right? And then the funniest part wasn't even that. It's that we got back in. I said, there were some interesting ideas there. And he went, what do they know? They're telesales people. I was like, oh, what was God. the point of the 90-minute meeting? <laughs> so basically what you wanted was us to go in there and them to say, everything's great. You're making all the right decisions. <laughs> exactly. He was looking for applause. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> right. And by the way, that's often what, what leaders are looking for, right? They don't want the truth. They want applause. And when they don't get it, it upsets them. Uh, and therefore, you know, obviously, that that extreme or the one that I described, th those are the ones that are uh, that are terrible leaders. At some point, they're going to lose their talent, may yep. even lose their business, mm -hmm. but they're certainly going to lose their talent because people are less and less prone to accept that attitude. Uh, you can obviously pay people enough to hang around, but you can't pay people to be more engaged. You just end up with yes, men, and that's not helpful for a business. Oh, just the opposite. I really believe that you need a lot of skeptics. You know, mm. you, you want to have people who say, let's take a look at this process and change it mm. because it can be better. I, I actually I'm, I have a few people in my team that I, I particularly like to bounce ideas off with because they ask me the questions that I don't really want them to ask. Like, they're very good at that. It's like, well, what about this? And it's like, yeah, I knew you were going to ask me that. I don't know. I haven't figured that bit out yet. But it shows me the gaps on what I need to do. And actually... It means that by the time we take something to market, I'm ready for those conversations. I'm ready for those questions. I'm ready for that. And it's also been very clear. And, and I, I'm one of these people who um, I like to preempt objections before they come up. So now I know what they are. I get to say to somebody, now, look, some people will think this, this and this, but I'd raise this. And I get to say <laughs> it before someone else does. No, because it's come from my team. So. You're absolutely right. And, I, and I've had times in my life, in fact, I had a, I don't mind sharing this actually, I had a, an executive search business and um, I made a, some pretty shocking decisions in that business. I mean, we exited it in the end and it was, it was all okay, but we, we had a real period of feast and famine for years. Um, and it was the way I structured the business. It was the way I designed it and nobody would tell me. So what ended up happening was we ended up doing this work with this one client. We did this stuff with them exclusively. People on my podcast will have heard me tell this story before. Um, and we ended up not being paid our invoices. And I, I personally lost about 60,000 pounds. So what's that? Like seventy-five, eighty thousand dollars $80,000, which doesn't sound like a lot of money now. But back then, it was, it was everything. I'd done five, six months worth of work on this thing and done nothing else. I found out the week before Christmas, we weren't getting paid. 
Um, it was the most painful experience of my life because I had to get a credit card out for to buy my family presents, and my wife and I didn't get each other anything because we couldn't afford it. And um, it's funny you mentioned about the cryogenically frozen thing. I remember at the time thinking if I could just sleep through the holiday period, I would because this is the most painful experience of my life. But you know what? Uh, I love what you're saying because the the biggest lessons I learned from that are the things that I still do in my business today. And it was when I was able to go from, uh, he did this to me to, I did this to us, <laughs> right? I, I made the decision to work with one guy and put all my eggs in one basket. He messed up. Yes. And he stole money. Yes. But the only reason that that hurt so much was because I put us in that situation. And it took a it took a long time for me to be able to look at that objectively and learn from that. And I did. I learned an awful lot of things from that. But I rem- one of the things I'm mentioning about the yes men here was I had about four or five core members of my team at this point. And when I about I'm going to say about six months afterwards, when I was now ready to say that was my fault. You know, like I did that. I shouldn't have put us in that situation. And here's what we're going to do differently. So we don't do that again. You know, here's the things I'm going to do. Here's the things I want us to do. What are your thoughts? Everybody agreed with me again. And I was like, but you all agreed with me six months ago when you thought this was a good idea. So like, do you guys just agree with everything I say? And then I realized that that's exactly what had happened. I'd surrounded myself with people that would inflate my ego and say, this guy's brilliant. He knows everything he's doing. So now I deliberately look for people and Look, I love working with advocates. I love the fact that fans of the show have rang me and said, I want to work for billionaires in boxes. But at the same time, I want to take a, a cynic because if I can work with you as a cynic, like we're going to do well. Yeah, and I would agree. I think you're spot on with that. And, you know, I first, my true north is my wife. She stayed with me. Now, think about this. I went to prison for five and a half years. I completely spent every penny we had on two federal trials and still went to prison. I, I spent the both boys' uh, college funds. Uh, I second mortgaged the house. Why? I was going to try to stay out of prison, right? Yeah. Uh, and she had no idea that I was a crook. I mean, I was, a good, I was good at it. She uh, didn't know you were guilty. Oh, she did. No, she knew I was guilty. She said in both trials every day for six weeks. And okay, at so the she end, yeah, and she was like, uh, yeah, you may continue to deny it, but uh, you did it. Uh, and I was like, well, let's let the jury decide that. So oh, anyway, no. they did, by the way. Yeah. So, so <laughs> of course, I come out now. She and she, my family has stayed together, which is unique. That mm. much time in prison, my family stayed together. We've really got a bond. But she she became, first, I'm a terrible judge of character. Uh, I, I, I will hang with bad people and enjoy it. And uh, she's like, no, no more. We've done that once. So she is my true north. Uh, and and I trust her judgment. You've got to have somebody like that. Uh, by the way, I coach coaches because – I, I know I know my blind spots, I, I, and I try to overcome them because I've had no choice. But yeah, you've got to have somebody who will tell you the truth that you trust. Yeah, you don't trust them, won't tell them the truth. But if you trust them, they will tell you the truth. You've got to be able to listen. To that. By the way, as a as a side note, I, I believe that everybody needs, you know, the king. When kings were in fashion, they were appointed by divine right. That means God had appointed them. Therefore, no one could take dispute with a decision made by the king because that would be taking dispute with God. Mm. So disputing the king was death, Mm. except when it came to the fool. 
Every king had a fool. And the fool, of course, we see, you know, he dances around. He's got the weird costume. That's not what the fool, that's not, that is not what that fool provided. Mm. The fool was not demented, but he was given the position of telling the king the truth. Mm-hmm. And he sat at the, you always see the fool sitting at the feet of the king, and you see people coming up and saying shit. And then whenever they were done, the fool would then jump up and caper, caper about it, but he would tell the king something that the king needed to hear. Mm-hmm. That was the only guy that couldn't be killed because he was not in his right mind. Yeah, We all need the fool. We do. Now, I, I tell people, I, I'm more than happy to, to fulfill that role for you if that's what you need. Because I'm going to tell you the truth, and anybody else that would tell you the truth, you may kill by firing them, right? You know, and by the way, I'm doing an article on uh, psychological safety because I find it so intriguing that everybody believes that their their people enjoy it. Psychological safety is I can tell you the truth. You're not going to kill me, fire me. And I go, no, <laughs> don't you first. I you need to prove to me that that exists. Uh, and second, even when it does, if you don't like what they tell you, they're not going to tell you the truth the second time. Anyway, it is an odd thing what we have to do, and that's why external coaches who are not employees, I would not last a day as an employee. No, me neither, dude. I'm unemployable. Somebody once told me that the definition of an entrepreneur was unemployable. (laughs) That's exactly right. (laughs) And I think that's so true. Every time you would say something, I'd go, wait a minute. I don't think that's right. Yeah. You go, Stop saying that in front of other people. What? Well, it's not even that. I, I used to actually have that experience when I worked there. They'd be like, you've been here five minutes. You can't be questioning my decisions. I was like, but wrong is wrong whether I've been here five minutes or five years. Exactly. By the way, when you hire somebody, isn't that what you – Yeah, that isn't that exactly thing? why I hired you? Exactly. And by the way, with my personality, I tell people, you never want to put me in charge of a team. I'd either kill them or run them off. <laughs> so, so I only work with me. Right. And and the, the reality is that that being able to have that attitude about you're hiring me to do this when you don't want me to do it, fire me because I will not stop doing it just because you say you don't want to hear it. Yeah. And, and by the way, if we've agreed upon action and 50 percent of my compensation is based on you doing what you've agreed to do. I will put my size 10 and a half up your ass because that's my money now. I put my skin in the game just like your employees have, by the mm-hmm. way. And you're not willing to do what you've agreed to do? Mm-hmm. Are you kidding me? Yeah, that That is poor leadership. So, so that's the coaching process that I engage in. And like I said, those people who want to get better, they will get better. It's amazing to me. I actually had a team this year uh, that I've called. This might be my third year. And in January, the, the uh, president called me and said, you know, we're not going to we're not going to uh, retain you for this year. I was like, hmm, OK, by the way, it happens. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah you go. All right. Uh, so I said, so I'm not providing value. He said, no, no, no. He said, you absolutely provide value. And over the last three years up to that point, they've doubled every year in revenue. Right. And and by the way, if you ask me, did that was that on was that on account of me? Absolutely. 
Mm. (laughs) I'm telling you stuff that if you do is going to make your company better, which will generate more revenue. So I said, so I'm still providing value. He said, yeah. I said, then what's the deal? He said, we can only take so much. <laughs> I like oh, that. Right. Oh, absolutely. He, said, out. he needs a 12 month break. <laughs> exactly. I said, you know something? Instead of firing me, maybe you should fire your management team. They said, what do you mean? If they can't take it anymore, what that tells me is they're through getting better. Mm. All I can tell you is that's all I exist to do. And you can see that that's what happens. If they don't want any more of that, you need to look at that team. What was the response? He said, "He said, well, I, you know, you know how flustered people can get. Oh, yeah. They suddenly hear something that's like whack right upside of the head. Like, oh my God, he could be right." He said, "Well, I, well, we're not going to renew." I said, "Call me in six months when you when you see your performance dropping." Mm, I have a phrase exactly. for that actually. Well, uh, yeah. That particular thing. So I, I um, and we use it. In, we use it in pitching a lot, right? The very beginning, I believe that, like in any keynote speech or whatever it's going to be, or like a TEDx talk or whatever, you have to be able to kind of capture people's attention quite quickly, and that's by giving them like a brick to the face, right? So um, I call that a pitch slap, because um, obviously you've heard of bitch slapping. This is pitch slapping. Oh, yeah. It's like here's my pitch. I'm going to slap you with it. So when I do mine in talks, example. And people say, oh, you know, my, my, you know, uh, our business, you know, I'm not sure uh, our podcast would be big enough. I don't think we could get an audience. I don't think our audience is big enough to make money from yet. I always say, well, I can show you how to make hundreds of thousands of dollars off a podcast with zero listeners if you're interested. And they go, what? Like, what, By the way, the next the next question or the next statement should be tell me more. Yeah, exactly. Well, it usually is. It's like, oh, yeah, give me, give me. Um, but it, I, I, but you know, you're you're so right. It's it's the. I can see exactly how you've kind of got to where you are as well because I was curious by looking at your path. And I actually have a little bit more insight to this than most because I went away and read a lot of those court documents. I went and read upon the case after we after we first met, and. Um, I also know, and I'm sure you will admit this too, you were lucky not to get even longer. I mean, there was there was some stuff that happened in that case that you know you 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 avoided a couple of banana skins right there, and it, and there was multiple cases here as well. And um, yeah, I had obviously had no idea about kind of the 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 financial difficulties on the family, kind of making that, those things happen, and the, the the remortgaging the house and spending the college funds and all that kind of stuff. I mean, your your wife sounds like a golden egg, if you don't mind me saying. She's uh, she sounds yeah, like a saint. You know, interesting. You say that about how I dodged a bullet. When I went up to be sentenced after being found guilty, I was before a judge that I pra- I practiced federal law, and so I was in front of a judge that I practiced before. Oh, really? Wow. uh, And he he scorched me. And by the way, the entire courtroom was full. I mean, it was a a high profile case was on the news and the papers. And so I'm standing up in front of the judge, Judge Hart. And he goes, Mr. Glover, you're an embarrassment to the labor movement. You're an embarrassment to the practice of law, blah, blah, blah. And he says, and you are one of the few people that have stood in front of me that if I could, I would give you more time. Mm. But the sentencing guidelines won't permit it. So yeah, you're right. And uh, I hear you. Oh, well, I was, yeah. was going to say, do you feel like you got a? Do you feel like you got more of a punishment because you'd obviously practiced law? Is that is that what? Like they made an example of you. 
Oh, absolutely. Uh, the, the prosecutor said if I get because the prosecutor and I did not get along well just because I was so arrogant about things. I mean, I just, you know, it, it just thing after thing, I'm not going to waste your time with it, but I continually needled them. And uh, just because, and, and when I went down to appear before the grand jury, uh, the deal is, I, my lawyer went with me, can't go into the grand jury with you. And the grand jury is held before they decide to indict you. They, they make the decision. Right. And, uh, and so you go into the grand jury and there are 12 citizens and there's the prosecutor. And so the deal is that when you go in, what your attorney tells you to say is, I'm going to invoke my Fifth Amendment rights yeah. to not incriminate myself. Oh, dear. And so I go in, I set out, and the, the prosecuting attorney, of course, expects exactly that. Mm -hmm. And he steps up and he says, Mr. Glover, I'm going to ask you a series of questions. Okay. And he said, and I want you to, to seriously consider before you answer. Absolutely. And I forget the quite first question he asked, but I, I said, I looked at him and I said, well, I may answer that question. And he was actually, he was startled, right? It was like, what, what? I said, is it all right if I confer with my attorney? And he goes, well, of course. Now he thinks that I'm going to give him some, something. I don't know what he, I can't remember the question. But anyway, so I get up, I leave, I walk in. Now my lawyer's in a room waiting and he's reading the paper and I show up and he goes, well, are we ready to go? I said, no, I've got to go back in a few minutes. He said, why are you out here? I said, well, I told him that I might answer the question. He said, what? He said, you're not answering. Of course I'm not going to answer the question. He said, well, what are you doing? I said, I'm pimping him. So he says, well, you can't do that. Yeah, I can. So I said, give me, a, oh, give me the no. support you're section. poking him. Oh, yeah. We sat out. I read a few pages. I don't know what. And then he says, go back. you got to go. He's nervous, right? He's like, you've got to go. Oh, yeah. I said, OK, I'll go back in. So I go back in. I sit down and he goes uh, and the prosecutor's like, we may have been going 15 minutes. He goes, are you ready to answer the question? I said, what was the question again? He gives me the question. I said, I refuse to answer. All the oh, no. Now, irritate, pissed him off, right? Mm. And I, can, I can see why. Goes, you probably pissed your attorney oh. off, too. You must have been the hardest person to have as a client. Well, not only that, but he, he says, is that going to be your answer for all the questions? And I said, depends on what the question is. <laughs> oh, no. Two hours. Two, my oh. attorney was begging me. He said, please, don't do that again. Because I would come out 15 minutes later, I'd go back in. What was the question? Now, that you see, when I talk about hubris, this is the federal government. This is a federal prosecutor. And that's, how, that's what I was doing. Not a good, not a good. Thing. You know, it would have been much quicker to just go in and give him the finger, don't you? I mean, it would have taken up a lot less time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and two trials, not just one. Spend all the money because you know hung jury the first time. But but by the way, that attitude is crazy. But it is an attitude that I found a lot of high-profile leaders have. You know, they often say that the personality of a CEO and that of a serial killer are similar. Yeah, because that you think that way. And by the way, one of the uh, one of my catchphrases, you've got catchphrases. I like the pitch slap, by the way. Uh, you, you, I've got one when somebody says, well, I'm not sure that we're going to hire you. I go, fine, I understand that. I said, well, let me leave you with one thought. All right, what is it? You're not as good as you think you are. 
pissed them off, Phil, like you won't believe. <laughs> and you can see the, the veins actually pop out of their neck because no one ever says that to No, me. not at all. Actually, I'll tell you a funny story. Somebody said that to me on a podcast recently at the end of a podcast, oh, no. right? But, well, I'll caveat this, right? Got to the end of a podcast and he said, you're not as good as you think you are you're better. And I was like, what a lovely thing for someone to say. I was like, that's really nice. Cause I think I'm really good. And he just, <laughs> um, no, I'm that's joking, amazing. but I mean, he did, he did genuinely say that it was a lovely thing for somebody to say, but yeah, I can imagine how somebody said, cause I remember the feeling of kind of a, what? <laughs> like when he said the first part, like nobody ever says that, like that's so brutal, but I can see why, it, why it arouses a reaction. And you know what? I think some people need that. I mean, if you're if you're successful in business, right? Um, and I think you've you've kind of hit the nail on the head with this, right? There are certain people that you deal with in business who they are successful, but they know that there's more left in the tank. They just need to figure out how to get it out, right? Um, and I kind of because I always go back to sport. I always kind of liken this to the players who in school and college are technically and giftedly talented, right? It's a God-given gift. They're good at what they do. But to make it to the pros, you have to have a coach who's going to help you to get there because at some point being the best guy in your school or the best guy in your town isn't good enough anymore. Like, and the way to unlock that next level is to go further. I mean, I've not, I've, I mean, I work in a lot of sports and have worked across a lot of sports, cricket, rugby, football, basketball. Um, and I have never met anybody at the highest level who just got there on raw ability. Not one, not one. No talent. Talent is huge. It takes you so far, mm -hmm. but only so far. Absolutely. And you're right. You will you will hit that ceiling where it's not going to go. That that's why. And and I always love that because as as uh, as we're, we're so connected to sports, right? America's sports crazy right now. And when I talk to when I talk to CEOs, I say, "Who's your who's your favorite sport? You know, okay. And who's your favorite athlete? You know that person has a uh, has a coach." He may have four coaches. Depends. He's got well, a hitting multiple coach. coaches. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I said. So you know why? Because they are trying to always get better. They have to. The level of competition at that at that in that sport to be on the field is huge, right? So so the deal is that we we all need that person. If nothing else, you know. By the way, I don't deal with physicality. Uh, I deal with your mental ability. Yeah. So so many athletes have the have these the the ability, the physical ability, natural ability, but if they don't get their head in the game correctly, you know, they, they're never gonna be able to be as good as they can be. I love the fact Phil Mickelson, fifty-one years old, he still got his head in the game. Mm. I mean, I, he, he just he he was able to come out there and beat the field of younger players, not because his physicality. I think you still got to be physical, obviously, mm. but his head was in the game. And, and to me, that's where coaching really has impact is when you get to a person and you get to their mental state and you talk about what they have to do to be able to encompass a greater purpose. You know, and, and if you can't establish what that is, that, then then you can't move forward. But coaching is all about finding that and then saying, how do you get there? So I always want to know, what do you want to be? All right. And, and by the way, if it has to do with money, we're having the wrong conversation. Yeah, it's so true. So Absolutely. True. It's amazing how many stupid people have stupid money. 
Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, I can't. And by the way, I, I guess I'm jealous. Uh, but but I look at that and I go, that's not accomplishment to me. No. Accomplishment is when you move beyond that, right? Uh, so anyway, yes, it's uh, it's what making it makes coaching so interesting. I've met a lot of people who have a lot of money that are miserable. I mean, people seem people who don't have money seem to think that they'd be happy if they had money, and that's not true. Um, uh, somebody once said to me that money just puts a spotlight on your life. If your life is great, it enhances it. If your life is crap, it makes it worse. Um, and it's so so true look i have one final question before we wrap up because i want to i want to find out how people can kind of drive towards you but i'm curious to ask this right because you mentioned it almost in passing when you did your introduction so now you've had the benefit of hindsight and you look back on those people and what happened did they use you or did you use them they used me but it was because I was okay with it. Mm. I wanted to be long. And the crew that I ran with was the crew that I, I guess I was a bad guy wannabe. And, and the crew that I ran with, they demanded certain things to be a part of that crew. And I was okay with that because that's how desperately I wanted to belong. And by the way, I tell my people in the coaching board, if you don't know what your weakness is, rest assured, someone else does. Oh, yeah. And that's the person that's going to take advantage of you to the detriment of you and your organization. So absolutely. And that person will come to you as a friend. Yeah, you're so true. It's so, so true. Absolutely. Nobody comes in as your enemy because you're immediately on guard. It's the person you trust that's going to come to you. And by the way, that, that my partner in crime is the guy who said, we're like brothers. And by the way, I put him through cocaine addiction rehabilitation twice. He said, if in fact the government ever comes after us, I will say I am the guy who did it. You're my brother, right? We'd hug. We'd big, big John was his name, huge personality. Uh, you know, West Virginian, big guy, carried a razor in his shoe, right? That kind of guy. And, uh, and we made a perfect team. And, of course, when Big John was, was actually indicted, you know what he said? I'm a dumb hillbilly from West Virginia. I only did what Paul told me to. Lovely. That's what he testified to on the stand in front of the jury. That's the guy who will bring you what you want but don't need. And they're going to show you how to get it. And That's it's a gonna powerful be lesson. That is a powerful lesson. Absolutely. And so, yeah, being used, uh, yeah, I was complicit. Yeah. you. They used you, but you wanted to be used. I did. Absolutely. Yeah. I tell people, you can't be used unless you want to be used. Now, I understand. Just slavery. like you can't be changed unless you want to change. Yeah, exactly right. There's so much of our, and by the way, I understand there are people in situations don't have a choice. I get it. You know, when I talk about self-inflicted injury, obviously that doesn't include cancer. Yeah, right? You didn't ask for that. You get it. It's not, that's, that's something different. But when we're talking about business in particular, that's where it matters, is that, is that you do have choices. You don't have to stay in a toxic job. Don't have to be you know, with a toxic boss. You get to choose your relationships. And I understand there's economics. 
right? But it's amazing to me how many people complain about being overworked, but continue to be overworked. Yeah, don't do anything about it. Yeah, yeah, you're correct. And so, so I look at that and I go, you're making choices and you're making them for a variety of reasons. But when you are injured by your choice, understand that you're complicit in making it. Someone presented it to you, but you had to say yes. That's a tough lesson for people. We don't want to admit that. We don't want to accept responsibility. And until we do, we can't escape the bad part of who we are. Sounds like a strange thing to say, but there's almost comfort in the pain, isn't there? It's like familiarity maybe rather than comfort. It's like, okay, I'm in pain, but I know this situation. I know that I'm in pain. I can handle this amount of pain. It's the fear of the unknown where potentially, okay, I could try and get out of pain, but what if I end up in more pain? Um, So I'm just going to tolerate this level of pain that I have right now because I know I can handle it. But that's not going to stop me from pissing and moaning about the fact that I'm in pain. Right? Of course. Yeah, we believe we've got the right to complain even though we can do something about it. By the way, the the economic term for that is some cost. Yeah. I've already put all this time in. And by the way, the opportunity costs are out there, but I'm afraid. Yeah. My deal is once you see that the opportunity cost outweigh the sunk cost, embrace the fraid. Embrace it. Make it a part of your experience. Don't be afraid of it. Embrace it. And people have obviously embracing fear is something we've been taught not to do. Yeah. It's one of the things that I think separates, and, and this is maybe a little bit critical of employees, but I think it's one of the things that really separates entrepreneurs and employees is that the entrepreneurs embrace the fear. They're like, I don't know. I don't know where it's going, but it could be great. <laughs> you know, So like off we march off into that dark, dark forest that we have no idea what's going to happen. But maybe maybe there's a beach on the other side. Who knows? And we just kind of blindly walk into it. And then, you know, we, don't get me wrong. There are, Every entrepreneur has been through this journey, whether you're a solopreneur, a coach, you know, or whether you're running a large business now where you, you march, you're using that analogy, you march off into that forest, you get about halfway through the forest and go, why the hell did I walk into this forest? <laughs> of course. Well, they, things are never as you think they're going to be, no, right? Never. I mean, we've got this image Sometimes in our they're head. Sometimes well, And that's the point. But we, whenever we get ready to go on a journey, we have an image of the journey. We're going to start, and this is where we're going to go, and blah, blah, blah. Well, obviously, it, it doesn't work that way on a journey. You don't know what's going to stay, what obstacles are going to be in your way, what detours you're going to have to make. Are you going to stay true to the journey? And you're right. I think that, that employees are not willing to say, piss off when they should. And therefore, they get taken advantage of. They, they, you know, We have this conversation about work-life balance. What BS? That's just bullshit because, first, employers don't believe in it. No. Therefore, the employees want it, but the, the employer doesn't believe that, That's why we're on 24-7. That's why Americans never take all their vacation. Is there anything more stupid than not taking your vacation? They're paying, time. You to, they're paying you not to work, and you don't do that? That is a that see that. If anything, you should owe vacation time because you've taken too much. (laughs) But but I tell people, if you want to know what if you want to know what you're you're, because everybody's always interested. Well, how do you rate our environment, our our corporate culture? Tell me how many people take all their vacation. Well, 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 half of them. Then you know what? You suck. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) If they're not taking paid time off, there's a reason for that. Mm. And it's not a good one. No, not at all. 
Oh, the signs are always there, Phil. You see them. I see them. It's amazing how the blind spots. And by the way, I, when I talk about self-inflicted wounds, I always talk about individuals. It's amazing to me how corporations inflict themselves. Yeah, it's true. They put a process in place that stops people from being able to do their job, and they can't figure out why they don't get productivity. We're, we, we, we rely on the guy at the front line to figure out the workaround. He's trying to get the job done, but you're stopping him until he figures out a workaround and you don't even know what it is. I mean, oh my God. Well, I, I get to see this from an investment perspective where investors are like, we don't know what's happening with this business. We've invested in them and things are getting worse. And then you look at it and you go, so how have you spent this money? Well, we hired a middle management team whose job it is to do quality control. But now there's three people having to do quality control for the entire company. If you speak to them, they've got a six month backlog and it's like, Everything was fine before they existed. Now these guys are overworked and they're the bottleneck for everything that's going on. It's like, well, you can't. When everything settles down, it'll be fine. Then it's like, oh, really? Okay. Well, when, let me know when you get to that magical date, won't you? Yeah. And anyway, so yes, it's it, to me, it's this is it. It is. It, I don't believe in complication. I just don't think that I don't believe we need it. There's enough complication around us. Uh, but when we do the internal barriers for ourselves and for our organizations, it's tough enough. We got to deal with the external barriers, right? Competition, uh, economic situation, whatever. But we, but internal barriers should disappear, and instead they continue to multiply. Uh, the status quo loves them. Mm, I love your approach. I really do. Uh, and I'm sure there'll be lots of people listening to this that want to get in touch. I think there's going to be more people that are disappointed that you only do distribution and manufacturing. Because um, I think there's a lot of businesses that would be listening to this going, I need this guy in my life. Um, Throw some money at me. We'll talk. <laughs> exactly. That's a good answer. So, Paul, how can people get in touch with you, buddy? How can people find you? Well, a couple of things. First, uh, if you've listened to this podcast uh, and, and the opportunity is you can call me immediately. 630-913-6555. Uh, and also, if you want to find out more about me, paulglovercoaching.com. And you can email me at paul at paulglovercoaching.com. Uh, anybody who does that, don't have to call me. All you have to email is that I will first send you my book, and it'll have an autograph, which one day will be worth a lot of money. So you don't want to have that right away. I'm going to send it to you free with your address. Uh, and, and second, uh, I'll also give you a, uh, a reduced price on my new book, which will be out in September. Awesome. Uh, so awesome. so that, those are the way to get in touch with me. And by the way, I will respond to everybody, and I hope it's 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 people, because to me, every one of those that are listening to your podcast are going to be interesting people because – you're an interesting guy. Thank you. It's very kind of you to say. And actually, I, I fully support that message. And I click on the show notes below, and, and you'll see all of Paul de Paul's details there. So uh, if you're brave enough to pick up the phone, just pick up the phone straight away. If you want a little bit of a barrier, do the email, right? Do the email. Check out the book. I mean, the book will be a phenomenal read, I'm sure, as will your next book. Um, as I said, I, I love your work. I love what you're all about. I think it's such a powerful message. There's so many fluffy people out there that actually, you know, 
even the fluffy coaches don't want to be fluffy. They've been they've been put in that position because that's how their clients want to engage with them. So I really like the stance that you're taking. This is this is who I am. This is why I am the way that I am, and I can help you but only if you're ready for that change and you're ready for that honesty. So if you are ready for that honesty, if you're ready to look in the mirror and take yourself to the next level, absolutely get in touch with Paul. Thank you so much, Phil. It's been a pleasure as always. Always. Absolutely. I love our conversations. So yeah, thank you very much, everybody listening. Uh, really hope you've taken so much away from this. I'm sure you have what a fascinating story. I mean, Paul and I could go for days. Couldn't we, we could just do a, an entire series just on the two of us. Maybe we should do that at one point, my friend. Oh, um, Lord, I look forward to that. Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what, actually, I'll tell you one thing I am thinking just before I go, it'll li- li- give it a little bit of a taster for our, uh, our listeners. Um, I'm thinking of doing more kind of roundtable discussions where I get a few people together to discuss certain topics and, and, and industry related matters and issues and things. Um, and I would love to invite you onto one of those. I think it'd be great to get you on. And I'm, I'm part of me is thinking, do I get you on with other really bold people? And another part of me is thinking, do I get you on with a snowflake just to watch how it goes? <laughs> um, oh. It depends how cool I'm feeling. <laughs> My goodness. Wow. Make sure I, yeah, obviously, there's some people you have on the list. <laughs> so. like, yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm going to start matching this list together and go, hmm, what can we do here? But uh, no, Paul, thank you so much for your time, buddy. It's been a, a real privilege, a uh, real pleasure to have you on the show. Um, and to, to our listeners, take care of yourselves and, uh, and we'll speak to you next time. This is Billionaires in Boxes, empowering one billion entrepreneurs, one podcast at a time.